During the Civil War of the 17th century, Avebury's Red Lion Inn was home to a young woman named Florrie. When her husband returned from war, he found Florrie with a lover, and in a fit of rage murdered them both, throwing Florrie's body into the well at the centre of the inn. Ever since that fateful day, her ghost is said to haunt the Red Lion, and if you listen carefully in the dead of night, you can still hear her sobbing. Hello, thank you for joining me. I'm Tamsin Wheatley and you're listening to Folklore. If you're hearing me for the first time, I'd really recommend going back to the start and listening to our previous episodes for some context. Since I began this journey, I've come to suspect that there may be more going on here than I previously thought. Several peculiar occurrences have cropped up throughout my own investigations, and the deeper into it I've delved, the more convinced I become that there is something here that needs to be uncovered. Furthermore, this all seems to be having an impact on my mental health. I've been struggling to sleep, and the little sleep I do get is filled with sinister nightmares. What's more, I've seen a figure lurking in my garden several times now. Up until this point, I've been presenting these events as they happened to me, coming in occasionally to fill you in or provide context. But at the point of editing this episode, there have been some... developments. I'll get to those in a bit, but for now, Neil's research this week took him back to Avebury, where he was looking into the story of Florrie, the ghost who reportedly haunts the Red Lion Inn. The date is May the 19th. It's approximately 9.42 in the a.m. I'm sitting here with Paul and Sandra Bowen, uh, the landlord and landlady of the Red Lion Inn in Avebury. They've agreed to talk with me about their ghost. Paul, Sandra, thank you for doing this. Not a problem, mate. We don't mind, do we, Sandy? My husband is more keen on this than I am, Mr Neil. I want to make that clear. Oh, uh, I'm uh, sorry, then. Have you seen her? Yeah, and our son, Eric. Your son? Yeah, but you can't speak with him. He's been through enough. So, what's happened? Well, I've never seen her, like I said. Oh, she don't care for Paul. She? Florrie. I see, how can you know that? Oh, she breaks things, Mr Neil. Ornaments, cups, pictures. We hear her. If we're upstairs, or if we're closing up after hours, it'll be quiet and then smash. You'll hear it. She breaks things. But they're always Paul's things. Yeah. And I know she's angry. If it's a photograph, it'll be a photograph of Paul. That's why it'll be. And we find him broken the next day. Why would she be angry? It's because of that bloody book. The book? Yeah, it's a book. Like a notebook. I found it in the attic a couple of years back. Okay. What's in it? Well, uh, this is off the record, right? You won't be putting this in your book or anything. No, 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 not if you don't want me to. Okay, good. Uh, well, 
belonged to Alexander Keeler, the archaeologist. It's probably worth a few bob. I wanted to keep hold of it. I know I shouldn't, I know. But we found it in the attic. And that's when it all started. I saw her. One evening, we heard the smashing, Eric and I. Paul was away. I'd put Eric to bed and I was settling down in front of the television when I heard this smash from down here. It was, yeah, this was the day after we found the book. Just the day after, Mr. Neil, and I heard this almighty crash from down here. So I came to see what it was. And we had never experienced anything, Mr. Neil. Not before that point, not anything. And I came down here thinking that perhaps the shelf with the glasses on it had fallen down or something, but... What did you see? My wife, she... You need to understand, Mr. Neil. She takes this very... seriously. You've never seen that, Paul. My husband doesn't understand. Because he sees this as only a way to make profit. He isn't wrong when he says the customers like it. Of course they do. But if they saw her... If they saw her like I saw her... Can you tell me what you saw? I came downstairs, expected it to be the glasses. But there was nothing here, nothing that I could see. So I had to look around. I found a picture on the floor. The frame was shuttered. A picture of Paul and myself, our wedding. We'd hung it up just behind the bar, but it hadn't fallen, Mr. Neil. Because if it had, then it wouldn't be on the floor just beneath where it had been hanging. It, it wasn't. It was across the room. Like it had been thrown at the wall. Like someone had angrily hurled it in a fit of rage. And I bent down to pick it up and cut myself on the glass. Only a slight cut, but enough to bleed. And as the blood came oozing out, I felt something. A, a sort of a, a presence. I don't know how else to describe it. It was watching me, whatever it was. I could feel the eyes fixed on the back of my head. I spun around, but there was nothing there. Well, nothing. Nothing except that well. Please, go on. Well, I stood there and I looked at the floor. I know it sounds absurd, Mr. Neil, but there were footprints on the floor, slightly damp ones. They dried almost instantly, as though perhaps the floorboards were soaking up the water in fast forward. And I followed the trail as it slowly disappeared across the floor and up to the well. When my gaze reached the well, I saw... I saw someone climbing down into it. Something, perhaps. Just like the top of the head, maybe, in a hand. Oh, I remember the hand. It was rotted. The skin peeling. It moved like it was bent all out of shape. All wrong. It was... The arm was greying and the fingernails dirty and cracked. It sort of moved in a, in a fluid motion, up and over and then down and disappearing into the well. What did you do? I stood there, not moving. I don't know how long for, but eventually curiosity got the better of me and I stepped forward to peer in. And uh, what did you see? I won't ever be able to forget that face, Mr. Neil. <laughs> the fact that my poor Eric had to... When he saw it, he, 
etched into my mind, burned into my corneas. Whenever I close my mind, close my eyes, there she is. The woman in the well. Yeah, she's my nightmare. I'm sorry. You'll have to excuse me. It's been difficult for her. You understand? Yes. Do, do you believe her? I don't know. I want to. Can you tell me about the book? We can have a look if you want. I'll go get it. I'm looking through Keeler's notebook now. It's old, faded brown pages are stiff. No doubt from years of being locked away in a cold, damp attic. It's filled with notes, thoughts on excavations and the old doodle. It's an interesting insight into the man, I must say. But perhaps the most curious is the final page. It was folded down as though it weren't important somehow, which is what initially drew me to it. I'm looking at it now. It's a list. It's headed Associates. And beneath it are a series of letters, perhaps initials. One, AK, two, DEC, three, CHEC, four, MBAF, five, FPG, six, EKG, seven, EML, and eight, JBL. I've no idea what they mean. I spent a lot of time thinking over these letters and their potential meaning. I suspected Neil was on the right track with the initials, although whose initials I couldn't be sure. Yet. I'll come back to this, but first we must return to Flory. I managed to track down and reach out to Paul and Sandra's child, which posed some difficulty at first because I had been searching for an Eric. After a bit of frantic digging, I finally discovered that she is now called Erica, and luckily she agreed to speak with me over the phone. And well, Let's just say, she had some interesting things to add to this story. So, have you had a chance to listen to the recording I sent you? I have. I listened to it last night, actually. Not a great idea, though. <laughs> what did you think? Well, it was spooky, that's for sure. I've heard that story before, though. My parents, well, my mum, she was always a bit unsure of it all. Actually, it was hard to hear, if I'm being honest with you. Oh, Why? Well, my parents divorced not long after that. And I think you can hear a lot of animosity between them, you know? Sure. Sorry, I know that's not why you called. No, no, I just... I didn't know they divorced. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, they weren't happy together, honestly. They got on much better when they separated. And like I said, my mother was always unsure about it all. She didn't like it. And probably about a week before it all really kicked off between them and we... We finally left. She said that she saw her in my bedroom. In your bedroom? Yeah, under the bed. Well, she said so anyway. I don't remember seeing her there. Uh, but she said she could see her peering out. And she could see her hands. Like she described in that tape, sort of. And, and that was enough for her. If Flory could get upstairs, she wasn't going to stay there. And she wasn't going to keep me there either. Of course, my dad just saw it all as profit. A good story for the locals. Would you mind telling me what happened? Well, when we moved into the pub, it was all about the well. And the well didn't have the cover on like...
like it does now, right? I mean, it had a cover, but you could sort of wedge your hand through the side. So I used to drop coins down there because I wanted to see her. When we moved in, Flory was the big thing, you know, the woman in the well, the ghost. And I wanted to see it. Of course, my mum would always go ballistic whenever she caught me because she didn't like that stuff anyway, but nothing ever happened. And I carried on doing it. Like she said, it all really started when we found the notebook. Right, and that's Keela's notebook. Yeah, and Dad, well, he of course just saw it as another way to make money, capitalise on the history of it. But they found it, and I remember it really well because he brought the notebook downstairs and he'd left it on the bar. This was, well, I guess it must have been a Sunday because I don't think we were open properly. And I was dropping coins down the well when I realised that he'd left it on the side. Okay. Well, I went to have a look. And I was looking at this notebook, just sort of flicking through it. But it didn't interest me because, well, it was just sort of, you know, a lot of writing and stuff. When something struck me on the back of my head. Hard, like right between the base of my skull and the top of my neck. I mean, it hurt. I thought I'd been shot. What was it? Well, I turned around to look and there's this coin rolling along the floor. It just sort of rolls around and does that little wobble thing and then stops. And I'm, I mean, I'm already freaked out, right? Because there's, there's no one in the pub. My dad's off somewhere. I don't know what he's doing. And mum's upstairs or whatever. But it hurt. And it's wet. Like, there's a little trail along the floor where it rolled because, because it's wet. And I touched the back of my head and there's blood. It made you bleed? Yeah, that's how hard it was. Okay, and then what happened? Well, I can hear this, I guess, sort of like sobbing, but not crying like normal or whatever, more like like a reverse sob. Like if you were laughing inward and sobbing at the same time, if that makes sense. It's it's quiet, but it's coming from somewhere near, and it's just slight, like like broken a little. I don't know, it's, it's hard to describe, because I can't really think of a frame of reference. I guess if you were to reverse it and play it backwards, but maybe add an echo, and then the echo is reversed. And anyway, it's just sort of cracking in the background somewhere, and I'm trying to work out where it's coming from, or if I can actually hear it. Uh, because, you know, maybe it's coming from outside, or, or it's just in my head. Right. And, and then I realise it's coming from the well, or well, I, I think it's coming from the well. So I approach it. I move slow, like I'm eight. I'm terrified. My hands are sweaty and I can feel my chest tightening too. It's almost as if the closer I get to the well, the more this unseen force is sort of pushing me away from it. Like like the universe saying, don't go, don't go. But, but well, that you know, makes me want to go more. And, and the closer I get, the colder it gets too. Like, I can see my breath cold. That's how cold. This laughing sob sort of, well, it starts to run up and down my spine. Can you explain what you mean by that? Well, yeah, like, you know, the sound is physical. It's it's in the air. And it's making all my hairs stand on end. It, it becomes less like a cry, more like, like scratching on a chalkboard. Well, that's the effect it has anyway. And I reach the well, and I peer over it, into it, and... What did you see? I'm sorry. I haven't really spoken about this in a while. And listening to the tape, I 
it about what? Well, she said she'd never forget it. Well, and neither will I. I'll never forget it. It's unlike anything I have ever seen. She's at the bottom of the well. Flory is, I mean. I, well, I assume it's Flory. And she's... I guess she's looking at me, but... Well, she doesn't have any eyes. They've rotted away. Like, instead she's just got these holes where her eyes should be. And then the skin around her face is all bloated. She's soaked through with blood. Like someone has poured a bucket of the stuff over her. You know, like Carrie. And her head is tilted up at me from the bottom of the well. Her hair is sort of matted and, and half there, half not. Like some of it had fallen out. And she's just staring at me. And she's angry now. So angry. And there, there's this smell. Oh, I can't I can't really describe the smell, but it's just foul. Just, well, just imagine a sewage mixed with rotten egg and then times it by ten. It's so horrible, it literally stings in my nostrils. It, you know, she's like a corpse, like she's been in there for years. You know, like, you know how your skin prunes in the bath and then... And then she just sort of sinks down in the bottom, into the shadows. And all of the anger and the crying goes with her. And then she's, she's gone. And we had to go to the hospital, I had to get stitches. I guess, you know, I guess that's why she didn't want me on the tape. Because that must have been a week after, perhaps? I don't know, but I think she was right. My mum, I mean. I think, for whatever reason, Flory didn't want us to have that notebook. Do you know where the notebook is now? No, I, I sold it after my dad died. Some, some rich guy who was super interested in all things Keeler. I found it and it just... Memories, you know? Of course. Do you remember who you sold it to? Uh, yeah, hold on. I've got the thing just in front of me. Um, Edward Michael Lewis. Yeah, I remember. You know, from the Lewis estate. They own a bunch of land around the area. Now, if you're an avid listener, you may very well recognise that name. But I'll admit it took me a moment to connect the dots. I've come into contact with the Lewis estate once before, way back when I was looking into the Black Shuck. They owned the road on which sightings of the fabled hellhound were reported. The same road that housed one of the mysterious missing guardian stones. I was unable to get in touch with them then, but now that they've reappeared I felt it was worth giving it another go. Finding contact information for them at all proved difficult, and my emails remained ignored. Eventually I was able to track down a phone number by contacting a local parish council member who directed me to a road maintenance company, who told me how to get in touch with someone who had booked them for a job for the Lewis estate. If I'm being honest, the difficulties of even getting in contact with these people further spurred my curiosity, and to say I was frustrated when I called the number and was met only with a voicemail would be an understatement. Still, I left a message and hoped for the best, and in the meantime, I returned to Neil's tape. This is Henry Neal, and it's the 23rd of May, 10.30 in the AM. I'm sitting here with Dr Hardy, who's kindly agreed to talk to me again to shed some light on Flory and these notes from Keeler. Dr Hardy, thank you. It's it's not a problem. <laughs> it, it's a bit warmer in here than 
when we last met. Yes, quite. Intriguing notes, these. Uh, without the original documents, it's difficult to make a prediction one way or the other, but um, I would guess their initials. That's what I thought too, but, but whose? Well, that's where it would be handy to see the original documentation. Yes, of course. Now, I would guess AK would be Alexander Keeler, although it would be peculiar to put yourself on a list of associates. But, but if it's AK is Keeler, then perhaps DEC could be Doris Emerson Chapman, Keeler's third wife. Most likely, though, they would be people Keeler admired or maybe work with. We could speculate, perhaps, maybe, let's see, um, let's, let's take C-A-E-C, for example. We could perhaps assume that would be Chubb, that's Cecil Chubb, the, uh, uh, the last private owner of Stonehenge, before he uh, donated it to the government in uh, 1918, I believe. Anyway, uh, Cecil Herbert Edward Chubb, C-H-E-C. It wouldn't be much of a stretch. I mean, after all, they shared similar interests. And it was the year of Chubb's death that Keeler began his work on Avery. Now, from that deduction, we might be inclined to suggest number four, MBAF, would be Mary Bella Anna Finch, Chubb's wife, who, interestingly, inherited Fishton House, the mental asylum from her uncle. And Chubb became chairman there in uh, sometime in the early 20s. Anyway, this is all. Pure speculation. It could be way off base. I mean, it, it could be sexual exploits. <laughs> it could be flavours of marmalade. <laughs> <laughs> but anywhere you suspect, what do you think it would mean? Well, you want me to say occult practices, don't you? <laughs> yes. That, that, that would make a good discovery for your book, no doubt. It would be interesting. If I'm being totally honest, I don't think it would mean an awful lot. Some notes in a notebook I've discovered somewhere. I mean, in years to come, people could look through my notes and assume I was into Satan worship because I spelled Santa wrong on my Christmas list as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Keeler's interest in the in the occult is is one of those things that just sort of follows him around. It, it casts a shadow on everything else he's done. But it's just, uh, disappointingly perhaps, but it's just that. It's an interest. Well, what about Flory, the ghost of the Red Lion Inn? Did Keel have any connection to that? Well, uh, he was in Avery a lot, so there's that. But if you mean, did he see her or encounter anything or what? No, I, I don't believe so. Why do you ask? Just... Just curious. Uh, it's easy when you're discussing folklore and such to get caught up in the coincidences. Similarities between stories, occurring names, folk like Kilo or Chubb, they crop up constantly, especially when you're delving into the folklore of the Southwest. But it's because they were influential guys with a long reach and they were instrumental in building the foundations upon which we continue to work today. It's not because every story is connected in some sort of conspiracy. No, it's a small world. And us mere mortals love to balance things out with apophenia. Maybe Hardy was right. 
My own experience with recurring names and similarities between stories has been well documented across this podcast. But as we know ourselves, every mention of marmalade doesn't necessarily mean anything, no matter how peculiar it is to have it recur so frequently. And it can become so easy to connect dots that weren't even there to begin with. Still, Hardy's musings on the possible initials drew me to a rather interesting conclusion of my own. If we assume he was correct, then that is one, two, three, and four accounted for on the list. So I turned my attention to the others and started to speculate myself. Five and six are FPG and EKG, which following my intuition could very well be Fitzroy Playdell and Eugenia Kathleen Goddard. Maybe Eugenia really did like marmalade. Still, I found myself struggling with the final two, and it was while I was sitting at home trying to figure this out that I received this voicemail. Hello, I'm leaving a message for someone by the name of... Tamsin Wheatley. I'm calling from the Lewis estate in regards to the numerous queries you've sent over the past few weeks. Mr Lewis is not interested in discussing these matters with you, Ms Wheatley, and would greatly appreciate it if you would stop bothering him. Good day. I was frustrated and angry, but also deeply curious. What was it I had done to warrant a response like that? Mr Lewis and the Lewis estate, it seemed, were keen for me to stop digging. What had I stumbled onto here? I was trying to work out what had happened when suddenly it struck me. Number seven in Keeler's notebook is E-M-L. E-M-L. Edward Michael Lewis of the Lewis estate. And a man I was really struggling to get a hold of. Henry Neal, it's 2.27 in the a.m. I can't sleep. I dream that I am in the woods. I'm following footsteps, and as I do, they seem to seep away into the earth, as though they were never there, and and suddenly I'm lost in a black void. My torch does nothing. It's still on, still shining, but there is nothing to catch the light. Nothing. And then I hear the sound behind me. I'm aware with every fibre of my being that there is something behind me. I turn and I see every night it's something different. Tonight it was Florrie in her well. She disappears down it just like Sandra described and as I approach the well to peer down her face is peering up at me. Ghostly white and totally void of any features. A blank featureless face and a hole where the mouth should be. A hole that opens but no sound comes out. A silent scream that shakes in my bones. I stumble back and I I trip and I fall. What what did I trip on? A stone. It's cracked and on it some sort of rune but the crack conceals its details. From the crack comes a light and the light is accompanied by a high pierced screeching. No, that's not right. There is no sound. A silent screeching, yet my ears bleed. I huddle in the darkness as the forest shifts around me, cold and alone in pain. I have no friends, no family, I just head meal, alone in the dark. I could relate. Neil felt like I did. And while it was upsetting to hear my old professor in such a vulnerable and lost state, it wasn't a surprise, especially considering how he sounded in Sally in the Wood. My dear old Neil wasn't alone in the dark anymore. I was right there with him. I posed my questions to the listeners of my radio show that evening, 
including my experiences with the Lewis estate, and then went to bed that night feeling restless, as though there was something I'd forgotten. The following morning I awoke to several missed calls from Maxine, my station manager. I got up, got dressed, and called her back. Normally, of course, I wouldn't bother recording these phone calls, but, well, you'll see. Sorry, can you, can you say that again? We're cancelling the show, Tamsin. Effective immediately. I'm really sorry. As you can imagine, I was devastated. The folk music hour had been something I'd really enjoyed doing, and I'd put a lot of time and effort into building it up and turning it into what it was. I had a good listener base, and I certainly wasn't aware of any issues. The station I worked for had been under new management, and it's true they'd been shaking things up, but this just felt cruel. I drove to the station to try and reason with Maxine, but it was no use. The show was over. Upset and frustrated, I went for a walk along the ridgeway to try and collect my thoughts. When I got home, I found my front door wide open. As if losing my job wasn't bad enough, I now found that I had been robbed. My laptop and television were gone, and the house was a state. Luckily, I tend to keep everything podcast-related in my car, so I still had access to the tapes and my equipment. I spoke with the police. It seemed unlikely that the perpetrators would be found, and frankly, I felt violated. Someone had entered my home and stolen from me. I'll tell you now, I spent the next few days wallowing in self-pity, feeling miserable and sorry for myself. I was considering giving up entirely, but then I discovered something that gave me a newfound sense of determination. While I was miserably looking through the radio station's website one afternoon, I noticed a new logo had appeared on the list of sponsors. A logo I recognised, and had seen a few times around the station. The logo of the new management. I never thought much of it, as a community radio station there were always new sponsors appearing and disappearing. Except I had seen this logo in another place, on more than one occasion. The logo read ELM, Edward Michael Lewis, the man who bought Keeler's notebook, the man who owned the road one of the missing guardian stones was on, and the man who, it would seem, really doesn't want me investigating. Hi, Tamsin again. This is where I initially ended this episode, the final one for now while I take a break and figure out what my next move will be. However, it's the day before we go to air and I've just received a very strange voicemail. I'll play it for you now. Tamsin Wheatley, stop following the tapes. Do not pull on this thread. You don't want to know what is at the end of it. Now I can't explain why, but there is something very familiar about this and it's deeply unsettled me. I'm not going to stop. I will be continuing, and I've already begun planning, but I felt like I needed to include this here just so you all know exactly what I'm dealing with at the moment. If anything, this has just further spurred me on. I will be back, and I will get to the bottom of this. Old where the 
as the magic takes hold. Weave the spell into the land as you cast a circle round. Call upon the Sith and lay your curses down. Thank you for exploring this mystery with me, Tamsin Wheatley. You've been listening to Folklore. To get in touch and share your thoughts, please search at folklore underscore pod on Twitter or find our official Facebook page. If you've enjoyed the show, please like, share and subscribe and give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you found us to help us reach even more listeners. You can also join in the discussion over on our official Folklore Facebook group. Or you can support the show and help make magic happen over on Patreon. And in exchange, you'll get access to all kinds of exclusive content, including some behind-the-scenes snippets, bonus stories, and extra interviews. Where the black shook howls as the magic takes hold We've